Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Steve Nichols, president of Reformation Bible College. We follow timeless paths of wisdom and truth, engaging the classic texts of history, literature, and theology. We care about training thoughtful and articulate Christian men and women, and we believe that a distinctly classical education lays the groundwork to thrive in society for God's glory. I'm excited to announce to you the launch of our online Foundation Year program, and it could not come at a better time. With this certificate in theology, you can build a firm foundation to take with you into whatever vocation you end up pursuing. In this carefully designed online classroom experience, you will engage with professors and classmates in real time, and you can do this from wherever you are. Apply today to invest in an affordable education that will serve you for a lifetime. Please visit us at reformationbiblecollege.org slash online. Hello, I'm David Kern with the Cersei Podcast Network, and this is the Ask Andrew Podcast, a weekly show in which Andrew Kern answers your questions about the purpose, essence, and practice of Christian classical education. The episode you are about to listen to was recorded this spring as part of the Ask Andrew webinar series and has been lightly edited to suit the podcast experience specifically. To learn more about the webinars, the podcast, or how to submit a question, head over to searcyinstitute.com slash askandrew. And with that, here is this week's episode. Hope you enjoy. Well, this is, this is such a great honor. Look at this. Look at this. Thank you. Huh. Well, I just have to say, why don't, why don't, we, get a, why don't we get started and, and say thank you for coming? And, and honestly, Daniela, thank you for that comment, because I really miss doing the Ask Andrew podcast. You, you all ask such good questions. And some of you know that I, I talk all the time about the four tools of learning, the four fundamental things that we need. And they are, they are questions above all, right? And then names, and then forms, and analogies. 
And so every time you ask me a good question, I'm forced to examine names, analogies, and forms. It's, it forces it on me. So you, you, virtually everything I know, I know because somebody asked me a good question. So I can't thank you enough for that. And so, well, the way this is going to work, each session will begin with one main question, okay? And then I'll talk about that question usually for, for 15 minutes. And then what I'm going to do after that is having answered one main question that will have been sent to me ahead of time because I do need some time to think about these things. Um, after I ask the main que- answer the main question, then I'll, then I'll explore three, four, five questions. And there I will be very strict to time myself to one minute. Uh, some of you maybe know from our panel discussions that I do with the Classical Consortium that I really like forcing those guys, Martin and Andrew and the rest, I really like forcing them to answer in one minute. So I figure I owe it to you to, to also do that. Now, of course, what that means is, A, my answers will be more concise, and B, they might open more questions, but I figure the question, that's your problem. No, I'm just kidding. I'll, I'll try to give you know answers you can carry with you, but I'm going to give myself one minute. That'll enable us to get to more questions. Okay, so here's the question. This is a question that I was given before this meeting. And it goes like this. What tools can we utilize to help our students make the connection across subjects while they are taking courses that are very divided in nature? I bet you want me to do repeat to repeat that, don't you? What tools can we use to help our students or children, of course, make the connection across subjects while they are taking courses that are very divided in nature? I'll tell you why I love that question for the first question of this kind of new series. When I was talking with Andrea about how do we want to do this, so what, what kind of approach do we want to use, the thought that was, I guess, typical for me was I wanted to start out with the kind of a question where I could draw back and I could get a perspective. I could, I could maybe set a framework. Um, because what I want to do in the next 10 or 15 minutes is answer that question. But I also want to lay out for you how I go about thinking about a question like this. What have I learned from the Christian and classical tradition that helps me answer a question like this? Okay, so it's going to sound to you for a bit like I'm not answering the question, but in fact, everything I'm about to do is answering the question, but in a way that leads to the question, if you see what I mean. Now, if anybody objects to that, I'm very sorry, but it's my show. Just teasing. Oh, you know what? Whoever pays the piper calls the tune. So if you want to control how I answer the questions, just advertise really heavily on the program. Just kidding, you guys. You're so sensitive. Okay, um, so so here we go. One of the basic habits of who I am. This is this is neither virtue nor vice, neither blame nor credit. This is just the way I've always worked, and it's annoyed a lot of people, and other people haven't minded it as much. Is that I'm kind of we would say obsessed, although I don't think it's a mental disorder. But I'm obsessed with universals and essentials, things that always apply in every situation. I find that that those are more practical than 
finding a solution to a specific problem on a given day. So when I get a question like this, my mind starts exploring what are the universal principles? What are the, what are the, um, the essentials of what we're talking about? And that leads me to think a lot about, I would say, three, two things. Let's say two things. I'm always finding myself thinking about the nature of things, and I'm always thinking about the way things fit together. Okay, What is that, and how does that relate to everything else? Now, let's come back to the question. I'm not done yet with my preamble, but, but let's come back to the questions. Does that, does that give you kind of a clue about what to expect from what I'm about to say? If I'm always thinking about the nature and relations between the nature of things and the relations between things, how does that affect this question? What tools can we use to help our students make the connection across subjects? Okay, let's just leave it at that portion for now. Well, if you think about nature, the nature of things, you'd imagine that I'm constantly asking, well, what do you mean by a subject? Or just simply, what is a subject? Okay, that's my first question when I read a question like that. What's a subject? The second question I ask is, how are subjects related to each other? Okay, now, Hold on to that. So, because really, what's a curriculum if it's not, in, I mean, scope and sequence, of course, but uh, broadly speaking, a, a curriculum would be, in a modern sense, subjects and how they relate to each other. Okay. So I'm thinking about nature and relationships. But I also want to emphasize this that as a Christian, I try very hard, at least in my conscious mind, to always think about everything in light of the Holy Trinity, okay? I always try to think about every subject in light of the Holy Trinity. It's not obvious how that works always, but over time, especially if you waste 30 years of your life thinking about something like I have with curriculum, then gradually as you're, you're, you're um, living in one question area and at the same time living in the, tri- the Trinity as a, as a framework for reality, really, um, they come, they, they relate to each other. They, they begin, the, the Holy Trinity begins to shed light on what you're thinking about. Okay, the next thing, because I think about the Trinity a lot, I think about the incarnation a lot. When I think about, well, we'll talk about teaching from time to time. When we talk about teaching, my mind instantaneously now goes to the fact that Christ is the incarnate Logos. He is the Word incarnate. What does that have to do with teaching? And if we start with our Lord Jesus, I have found he sheds light on everything, right? And so so I try to think in terms of the Trinity, and I try to think in terms of the incarnate word. So when I think about this question, what tools can we use to help our students make the connection across subjects, okay, I'm going to be thinking, what does the Holy Trinity say about this? And I'm going to be thinking, what does the word incarnate say about this? Now, remember, I already, I already talked about natures. So one of the things that becomes a really big deal when we're thinking about subjects, relationships, Holy Trinity, Word incarnate, is human nature, right? One of the most staggering realizations I've had as an adult is that, well, I mean, I was taught this as a child, but I don't think I realized it until I was an adult, and that is Christ took on human nature. 
And when it sank into my mind and into my consciousness that Christ took on human nature and that that matters to how we understand human nature, whole worlds unfolded before me. Not, not, not anything new for me. I'm sorry, not anything new that I discovered, except in the sense that somebody said, hey, look at look what we found. And then I looked too and said, oh, look at that. I didn't discover anything new, but I did discover within myself that because Christ took on human nature, we need to treat human nature with great respect, because if we aren't, we aren't teaching him with great, treating him with great respect. So when I think about subjects and curriculum and relationships, human nature is much more important to me than, let's say, the economy or society or um, uh, success, whatever. Human nature, they're not the same category, so don't get too lost on that comparison. But human nature is, is a central organizing principle of thought because Christ is man, right? So just as the Trinity is so important, so the incarnation is so important, and so man, human nature is so important. And that leads to three terms that I use in my thinking that help me all the time to think about everything. NPP. I bet Andrea knows exactly what I'm about to say. I bet a bunch of you do. Nature, purpose, and propriety. Nature, purpose, and propriety. So now what I'm saying is not only do I think about what is the nature of a subject, I also have to ask myself, what is the purpose of a subject? What is the purpose of whatever I'm thinking about? Whatever I'm thinking about, I have to ask myself, what is the purpose of that thing? If I don't understand its purpose, I don't understand it. Okay? And, that, and then comes the third point, the, third, the second P, propriety. If I don't know the nature of a thing and I don't know the purpose of a thing, then I don't know how to appropriately relate to the thing. And now we're back to relationships, aren't we? Now, I, I hope you, you're getting not confused by this, but seeing that there's some kind of a circularity in my mind. I keep coming back to nature and relationships, nature and relationships, nature, purpose, propriety, Nature understood in light of the Holy Trinity. Nature understood in light of human nature, the incarnate word. Yeah. Well, Kristen, you have to ask a question. Um, and so therefore, nature, purpose, and propriety are a big deal. And then relationships, which I've already talked about, are a big deal. Now, let me give you three very quick, more specific things here, less, less gigantic, but still big, but somewhat more specific. I, five minutes left, okay, I prioritize wisdom over originality, okay? That's, that's important to me, wisdom over originality. In fact, I believe wisdom to be the source of true originality, okay? Second, but, okay, love of creativity and discovery are a big deal to me. I love creativity and I love discovery because, get this now, this is huge in all my thinking, mankind by nature is an image, okay? And as an image, we are created by a creator. Since we are created to be the image of a creator, Creativity is good because God is creative, and we are made to be creative 
because we're the image of a creator. I love, therefore, creativity. I want wise creativity. And I love discovery. I want wise discovery. And then, and then um, something I won't go into at all today, but, but we'll, you'll hear me develop this constantly. I believe in the classical tradition. I'm, I'm a Christian classical educator, Christian classical thinker. Well, what that basically means practically is that I literally think that the whole world started to go very badly wrong thought-wise, formally, in the writings and books around the year 1600. To oversimplify, I believe that classical civilization was born with Homer and ended with Hamlet. Okay, And I could make a case for that, but we'll leave it at that caricature for now. Harmony is the purpose of thought. I need to lay that down as a principle. Harmony is the purpose for thought. Another way to say it is that the purpose of thinking is to discover truth. The purpose of action is to be good. And the purpose of perception is to see the beautiful. The soul feeds on the true, the good, and the beautiful. Okay, now, all of that is context. Now I want to, in the last two minutes or so, (laughs) I want to try to answer this question. Oh, please say that again, like I can remember. You're going to have to listen to the recording. I said something like, harmony is the purpose of thought. And another way to put it is that truth, truth, is truth perception is the reason we think is to perceive the truth, to do the good, and to perceive the beautiful. Well, to perceive the good, the true, and the beautiful. That's why we think. Okay. Now, all of that then takes us back to the question, what tools can we utilize to help our students make the connection across subjects? Especially note this next part. While they are taking courses that are very divided in nature, Come back to harmony. If the purpose of thought is to bring harmony, what tools can you use to overcome the divisions between the subjects? Now, here's what you're not going to like if you ask this question. Okay. I don't believe in subjects. I believe that in the classical tradition, subjects were never taught. Subjects really didn't start getting taught until. Apparently, Peter Ramus, uh, Petrus Ramus, R-A-M-U-S, he seems to be the person who began this um, development of subjects in the modern world. He lived in the se- late 16th century, I think. I have to check that. He was ki- Yeah, he did, because he, li- he was killed at the St. Bartholomew's Day Massacre. Okay, so, so he's a 16th century Huguenot, and, and um, <laughs> in my opinion did real serious damage. Now, now don't go too far with that because I have to study more about him. But he seems to be the person who brought things in the direction of subjects instead of what they used to teach, which was arts and sciences. Now, here's the distinction. Essences, right? Natures. What is a subject? How many subjects are there? I love asking this question. How many subjects are there? The answer is as many subjects as the person in charge says, okay? And, and infinite is one potential answer. Many as you can name, right? You, 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 can, you, can, you can teach anything you want in a school and call it a subject if you have the power to do so. A subject, therefore, is a tool of tyranny. Even if 
the original subject teachers were traditionalists and patriots and whatever, when they gave into the structure of subjects, they created a vacuum or they created a space into which tyranny can move. Okay. If you want the things your children are learning to be preparing them to know reality, then they need the arts of truth perception. And those are nameable and limited to seven. Okay. They're not subjects. And so the, 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 two, the twofold answer, and I have to give the twofold answer quickly now because I'm almost out of time, but don't worry. It doesn't mean we're going to drop everything, right? I'm not going to just leave you hanging on all this. But the twofold answer to this is that there's a curricular answer and a pedagogical answer, which is to say, if you want to teach your children how things fit together, then you have to show them how things fit together by teaching them that they fit together in the structure of the seven liberal arts, okay? And that we'll talk a lot about that, the trivium and the quadrivium. The second thing is, is pedagogy. You have to teach in what we call at Circe mimetic teaching because that is a weaving mode of teaching that both teaches an incarnate logos in a given lesson and gives you a space in which a lot of things can happen. But one thing that can happen is the whole world can come into that lesson and find its appropriate place. Okay, So we call it mimetic teaching. It opens up that space for the world to come in in appropriate ways. Now, if you teach mimetically the seven liberal arts, you're going to have teaching on steroids. You're going to overcome the division and fragmentation of modern thought, and you're going to give the child the tools by which he can bring order to his own soul and overcome the discord and fragmentation and division of the modern curriculum. The end. How'd I do, Andrea? Excellent. Everybody stayed awake. Almost everybody's still here. Yeah. Okay, well, I'm going to stop with my, with my uh, answer to that question, but now I'm going to give short answers to a few questions. So, Andrea, throw, throw a question at me. All right. So your first question tonight, in no particular order um, okay. of connection, is how do you balance the spiritual and the academic? Ooh. I got one minute for that. Yes, sir. Go. Okay. So when we talk about the spiritual and the academic being balanced, unless you put them on a teeter-totter, you can't balance the two. There, there's no reason to balance the two. I, I would say that the word balance is not the appropriate word to use. I like, I like the idea that somebody posted. You marry them, right? Um, maybe, maybe, depending on how equal you want the partners to be. But in my view... If the academic doesn't begin with worship, which is to say with the spiritual, then it's lost. And I, I come back to 1 Corinthians chapters 1 and 2 especially, and Paul is so emphatic that the spiritual mind can perceive things that no amount of culturally, culturalization or training can ever enable you to see. So the spiritual has to precede the academic. And... Um, 1 Corinthians 1 and 2 is the, is the crucial passage. Oh, Jesus, when he says the lamp of the body is the eye, right? That's a crucial passage. The health of the organism of, the health of the organ of perception is more important than the ability to do well on the test or to do, to do well academically. It, academics can break free from the spiritual, but it has to stay 
it won't be healthy for long that way. It's like a branch breaking off a tree. It, it can look good on the ground for a while, but eventually it just turns into rot. Okay. Your second question, and I think it's connected to what you said earlier in a way here, is what is a classic? Okay, so, so what is a classic? That's the question. What is a classic? I have, I have an answer for that that I even wrote down once upon a time. Um, and you're probably going to think, think I'm just being glib. But this is what I think a classic is. It's a great idea greatly expressed. Okay. And, and so, so another way to think, oh, I got to make a distinction. I'm not answering the question, how do you identify, identify a classic, which is what people often, you know, want to know. Like, so, so somebody wrote accepted across time. That's how you can identify one, but that's not what one is. A classic is a great idea, greatly expressed. Another way to put it is it's a, it's an insight in form. Another way to put it is it's a logos incarnate. But my my most um, nuanced and boring way to put it is this. A classic work of art is a great question explored through forms that enable their insights to be named in an image. Your time's up. Done. Your next question. Okay. How should I introduce a class book to my group so that it gives purpose, meaning, and inspiration? Purpose, meaning, and inspiration. Okay, you're going to make this a trifold question. In introducing a great book. Okay, so what, what, what needs to happen if you're introducing a great book to a, to, a, to a group of, to anybody, is that you have to have some sense of what's going on in the narrative. Um, who, who in the... Who in the uh, story is doing something important. What issues does he have to deal with? And then something about that's going to relate to kids, to, to whoever's learning, because that's what stories are, is they're universal, right? They're, they're about things that matter to everybody. So what you need to try to do is twofold. One is you need to make, you need to um, arouse in their awareness what they already know and have already experienced about the plot in the story. By the time they're five, there is no story that they won't have already experienced almost the entire plot. Um, the, second, the second thing is you have to um, make them aware of as much about the form as they need to know to interpret it. So if you're dealing with a fable, you really don't need to tell them what a fable is, but you need to ask them questions like, have you ever seen an ant and have you ever seen a grasshopper? What are they like, right, if they're five? Now, if they're 18, you might start getting into why would you tell a fable, right? Or what, what is the structure of a fable? So you, you, you determine what about this given form of story do they need to be, let's say, familiar with in order to read it? And what ideas do they need to have experience to bring into it? Okay. Ready? Yep. Number four, how do I cultivate or help cultivate a self-motivated attitude in my children to love and appreciate the true, wonderful, beautiful, and all the things we love to discuss here? They already do. Um, you, you, you don't need to give that to them. You cultivate it by, number one, not letting any barriers come between them and it. And the biggest barrier that comes between 
them and the true, the good, and the beautiful, let's just say, is language they don't understand or unfamiliar experiences. So what you want to try to do is, is, well, what you always need to do fundamentally is to incarnate truth, incarnate goodness, incarnate beauty in a way that they have learned how to see it, while at the same time cultivating their ability to see it even better. Right? So there's that modulating, that dynamic of, of always getting down to their level and then bringing them up a, a step. But when we, this comes back to the academic and spiritual thing, right? If we, if, we, um, if we turn it into an academic exercise so that they get good grades and so that they can go to college and so on, then they won't like it because it's a game for them then. Well, I can't say they won't like it. Some will. Some will see through the, the, the burden we've thrown on them. But the easy, the best, the most natural way to do it is to let it be what it is, incarnate the Logos, and then don't force them to see it. Andrea. Excellent. I think we're on our fifth question. Okay. This will be the last um, one then. Okay. Boy, no pressure on me tonight. <laughs> we'll be back. Good. I teach LTW to eighth graders. Should I ask the scholars to begin in Annie with the I column using the five topics? Sure. Good. That's my favorite because, because the I column is meant to be a whack on the side of the head. If you remember that book, the I column is meant to be a place where you can brainstorm, where, where you're just opening up. You're not evaluating. You're not asking, is it for, is it against? You're not engaging yet in analysis. You're just letting things flow. And, I, and, the, and the topics of invention are actually a disciplined form of brainstorming. So if you can, if you can have that I column going, yeah, then, then that's the better place, in my opinion, to start. And if they're, they're going to be drawn like a magnet to getting the assignment done, and that means A and N column, right? So they're, gonna, they're like us. They want to be done with this work and get on to the next thing. They're not thinking of all the glories of it. And that's okay. They shouldn't have to. But the I column if they learn how to use it becomes that space that they can, that they can uh, just fill out and, and let their minds flow into. So yes, I, I would recommend an Ian instead of an Annie. Okay. <laughs> but then you can't sing Annie's song. There's no Ian song that I know of. Well, I want to say thank you to all of you. Our time, whoa, our time's up by an extra 15, 20 minutes or so. Um, but we did start, you know, introductory like, and I hope this was useful for you. Um, is there any any closing comment or any sort of, I'm going to die if I don't ask this right now? Where do you get your bow ties? Oh, what a good question. I'm going to talk about this bow tie tomorrow. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to talk about this bow tie tomorrow. I love this bow tie. There's a story behind it. Mm -hmm. Fabulous to see all of you. I love seeing the names. I love to, to, get the, to get the questions. I love that we're connecting from you know Facebook to here. There's so many friends up there. Thank you. Wonderful to see all of you. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.